Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project, by me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet a man who followed his strange destiny to prison to witness to murderers and pirates. Name, James Fenn. Life, 1540s to 1584. Status, blessed. Feast, February 12th. In the summer of 1581, James Fenn was brought before Sir Francis Walsingham. Walsingham was officially a secretary to Queen Elizabeth I, but everyone knew what Walsingham really did. Sir Francis Walsingham was Elizabeth's spymaster. Walsingham had created a network of watchers, agents, and double agents that extended far beyond England into Europe. Like a spider at the center of the web, Walsingham received signals of change from all over Europe. It let him assemble a picture of what was happening in his lifelong struggle against the Catholic Church. There had been something a little strange about the Catholic troublemaker James Fenn, a nagging tug in the web that Walsingham couldn't quite interpret. So now, James Fenn was here before him. Walsingham was right that something was amiss. Unbeknownst to him or anyone in his web of spies, he was in fact interrogating Father James Fenn one of the most secret of the secret priests. Things had started to go wrong in England decades earlier, under King Henry VIII. When Rome would not give him the divorce he was looking for, Henry VIII declared that the Church of England would be autonomous, and he would be its head. This not only allowed Henry to remarry, it also let him enrich himself with the holdings of the Church in England. Henry had solved a political problem with a religious shift, and for centuries after, religion and politics would be tied together in England. Henry's daughter, Queen Mary, tried to make England Catholic again by purging Protestants and by marrying the Catholic King of Spain. As a result, many viewed Catholics as disloyal representatives of Spanish supremacy and English dependence. After Mary... Queen Elizabeth I went in the opposite direction, severing ties with Spain and doubling down on Henry's original idea. There would be an English church, and she, Queen Elizabeth I, would be its head. Catholics found this idea appalling. As a woman, Elizabeth could not even become a priest. How could she replace the Pope as head of the church? The church pushed back, and that gave Elizabeth exactly 
what she was looking for. In 1559, Elizabeth passed the Act of Supremacy, which formalized her leadership of the English Church. The Act also stipulated an oath of supremacy. From now on, anyone in a position of authority would have to swear his loyalty to Elizabeth. Elizabeth had found a new way to tie politics and religion together, defining religious dissent in political terms. If you were not willing to swear that Queen Elizabeth I was the head of the church, then you were not a loyal subject of the queen. That meant you were guilty of treason. The cynical premise of Elizabeth's persecution of Catholics was that she was not persecuting Catholics at all. They were being persecuted for being traitors. And so it happened that in 1559, as the Act of Supremacy was becoming law, a young man named James Fenn was finishing his studies at Oxford University. He was the youngest of three brothers. All three of the brothers Fenn had gotten into Oxford on scholarship. James Fenn was a good student, quiet and soft-spoken, but with a knack for stating the truth in a way that cut through the noise. His two older brothers had done well, and now that he had completed his studies, James had every expectation of becoming a successful scholar, too. He almost certainly could not guess the strange, winding path that lay before him. In the graduation ceremony, newly minted BAs were granted the privilege of wearing their university's colors in a hood over their academic gown. But when James discovered that in order to receive his degree, he would be forced to recite the Oath of Supremacy, he took a step back, tossed the new hood onto the ground, and left. His degree was not worth his soul. It was an act of defiance that would change the course of his life. The young man's act of defiance caused a stir at Oxford. Many people were angry. But there were still a lot of Catholics at Oxford, and they admired James Fenn's conviction. A temporary change in how the law was enforced allowed the Catholic faction to give Fenn his degree anyway. And for just a moment, it seemed as though he might have the life of a scholar after all. But then, the law changed again, and Fenn was stripped of his degree. James Fenn considered his options. His act of defiance had closed off the path of the career he had been preparing for. But it had also introduced him to the network of Catholics who were increasingly going underground. Fenn could not be a professor, but he was certainly qualified to be a tutor for young men on their way to Oxford. And so Fenn found himself settling into a life not in the university, but at least connected to it. After some years, he met someone married, and had two children, a boy and a girl. But in London, storm clouds were gathering. Queen Elizabeth was growing more concerned about the dangers posed by Catholics and, as she saw it, their Spanish backers. And an able young man named Francis Walsingham was rising to power, using bribery and coercion to build his network of informants. Of course, some people were happy to persecute Catholics for free, 
Everyone knew what James Venn stood for, and that complicated his work as a tutor. On one occasion, an Anglican bishop had Fenn seized, and demanded Fenn swear the oath of supremacy on the spot. Fenn refused. The bishop was about to hand Fenn over to the authorities when it was pointed out to him that while Fenn's refusal of the oath was illegal, so was the bishop's request that Fenn swear the oath. Ordinary people could not go around compelling others to swear things. If Fenn was going to prison, so was the bishop. Reluctantly, the bishop let Fenn go. For Fenn, the encounter underscored the point that he could not go on as a tutor. He considered his situation. His parents had been small-holding farmers, and now they were looking for younger hands on the farm. Perhaps Fenn could be a farmer. He packed up his family and moved back to the house where he had grown up. And for a few years, all was well. In fact, Fenn might have been left alone if he had not taken such a public stand for Catholicism at Oxford. In time, Fenn got wind of a plot against him. It wasn't illegal to be a Catholic, but it was illegal not to attend services on holy days like Ash Wednesday. The plan was to bring Fenn in to ask him why he had not been at the Anglican Church for those services. During the interrogation, he would be forced to swear the supremacy oath, and then they'd have him. When he refused, he would be arrested. So, it seemed that Fenn would not be a farmer, after all. He went into hiding, moving through the Catholic network, looking for some place to fit in. He finally found a place with Sir Nicholas Points, a secret Catholic who had the political clout to keep his household fairly safe. Sir Nicholas took Fenn on as a steward. These must have been dark days for James Fenn. He had found a job, but it was not really where he hoped to be. Fenn had now gone from scholar to tutor to farmer to running someone else's farm. He couldn't see his wife and children. And then, more bad news. Fenn learned that his wife had died. His children were safe with friends and relatives, but Fenn must have been at his lowest point. It did not help that Sir Nicholas Points, his boss, was a tyrant. He tended to fly into rages and threaten Fenn and those who worked for him. On one occasion, Fenn wasn't moving fast enough for him, and Sir Nicholas grabbed a scythe and told Fenn if he didn't hop to it, he was going to have his lazy feet lopped off there and then. But it was also at this point in his life that something became clear about James Fenn. He had a cool that was unbreakable. When Sir Nicholas threatened to cut off his feet, Fenn calmly turned around and said, I pray you to wait patiently, for you shall see, if God will, that with all this slow pace, I will yet finish your business betimes, and wholly according to your desire. Sir Nicholas knew how to handle defiance, and he knew how to handle fear. He wasn't quite sure what to make of James Fenn's calm, quiet determination. And as time passed, Sir Nicholas began to feel he was in the wrong. 
it wasn't just that Fen was making the household work better. Fen's calm, quiet example made everyone, from Sir Nicholas on down, want to be better. Sir Nicholas Point's household was part of the Catholic network, which meant that an undercover priest would visit occasionally to offer the sacraments. To everyone else, James Fenn seemed like a man who had missed his vocation. But the visiting priest saw things very differently. Fenn was efficient, educated, calm under pressure, used to moving around unseen. He was perfect. The priest asked Fenn whether he had considered that his vocation might be to the priesthood. Fenn hadn't. Not really. But as he thought about it, and prayed about it, he realized that the priest was right. And so, James Fenn set out for France to become a priest. He had already completed most of the schooling necessary, so before long he was back in England, back in the Catholic network, now bringing the sacraments to Catholic families, trying to slip through the strands of Sir Francis Walsingham's web. Walsingham seemed to have agents everywhere. He had agents in the Catholic network and in the prisons. Walsingham even had spies at the Catholic seminary in Reims. Walsingham's spies estimated that there were almost 500 active priests in England. Of these, three-fifths would end up in captivity. As the Jesuit Father Richard Holtby would complain. They have suborned such a number of secret spies, who, under color of Catholic religion, do insinuate themselves into our company and familiarity, and that with pretense of such zeal, sincerity, and friendship, that it seemeth a thing almost impossible either to decipher or avoid them. And so, it was not really surprising that Walsingham soon caught wind of James Fenn, the man who had refused to take the oath at Oxford. Walsingham's men caught Fenn as he was moving between houses. Perhaps Fenn managed to hide the things that would have given him away as a priest. Or maybe Walsingham's men didn't even think to look for them. After all, Fenn was still remembered as that Oxford troublemaker. Now, this reputation worked in his favor, especially since he still proved troublesome as a captive. When he was put on display in chains, Fenn soon had the crowd going in a lively debate over the merits of Catholicism, with many taking Fenn's side. That may have been why he was transferred to London, for personal examination by the spymaster himself. We don't know what went on during that conversation. It is likely that Walsingham had Fenn tortured. But we do know that Fenn kept his secret. Afterward, Walsingham sent him to Marshalsea Prison, where many priests were kept. Fenn, however, went into general population. That was Walsingham's mistake. Gradually, a strange thing started to happen at Marshalsea. 
to the intense irritation of the authorities, prisoners in the general population started to become Catholics. In the prison, Fenn had found his calling. He wasn't called to be a scholar. He was called to be a missionary to the worst of the worst, murderers and pirates. Fenn's calm, quiet approach was saving men who seemed beyond salvation. Matters reached ahead at the public execution of one notorious pirate. Everyone was wondering whether he would repent and beg the Anglican priest for absolution, or spit on the priest and die in his sins. Instead, the pirate announced that he had become a Catholic, had already had his last confession, and could they please get on with things. The crowd was not amused, and it was the last straw. Finally, Walsingham's network of spies figured it out. It had been James Fenn all along. Fenn was now identified as a priest. A new directive had just come out about how to hold priests like Fenn, and he was put into solitary confinement, awaiting trial. Oddly enough, this did not catch Fenn by surprise. Fenn had a sense of his coming death, but he also seemed to know that his life would become solitary. He told others that he saw himself as a hermit, preparing to be alone even inside the busy prison. Fenn took the time to prepare himself for martyrdom. First, there would have to be a trial. Fenn indicated that he had no intention of taking the oath because he was a Catholic. His death was a foregone conclusion. But then things became a circus. Fenn was accused of taking part in a plot with another priest, Father George Haydock. The trouble was, Fenn had been in prison, in England, when he was supposed to have been conspiring, in France. He told the court that he had never met Haydock, which was easy to believe because Fenn had gotten the other priest's name wrong and kept calling him Haddock throughout. The state got its guilty verdict, but the result was an embarrassment to everyone involved. And so the strange, winding life of Father James Fenn came to a close. He had been a student, scholar, tutor, farmer, steward, priest, prisoner, and at the end, a hermit. It should have been a life of disappointment, but it only looked that way from the outside. In his private, calm, manly way, James Fenn found a way to turn even a life of misfortune into a life of service to God. On the day of the execution, his calm remained. He told the crowd again that he was being accused of conspiring with Haddock, but he didn't know this Father Haddock. Then, out in the crowd, Fenn saw his daughter. She was crying, too far away to speak to. So Fenn did the only thing, the last thing, and raised his chained hands to bestow a final blessing. And then he was taken away to die. One of the guards had been watching. When another guard was rough with Fenn and the other priests, the first guard shouted at him, These are men. Treat them that way. 